Ladies and gentlemen, one, two, three, four. Want to be better, richer, happier? Of course you do. Welcome to the Be Less Crap podcast. Let's go. A podcast devoted to helping you become a less mediocre human. With your host, very much a work in progress herself, Charlotte Sherston. Hello and welcome. My name is Charlotte and this is the Be Less Crap podcast. Um, Today on the pod, we're lucky enough to have journalist, author, presenter, columnist and mother of two, Jacinta Tynan. Hi, Jacinta. Thanks for taking time out on this Friday to have a chat with us. Thank you, Charlotte. It's a pleasure. Great. Well, we're really here today to talk about your latest book. Congratulations on that. Um, It's called The Single Mother's Social Club and it's inspiration and advice on embracing single parenthood. And having just finished the book, and not being a single parent myself, it's whoo, it's a it's a roller coaster. It's certainly got huge highs, huge lows, and I'm sure lots of people who've been through it will certainly relate to a lot of it. I was surprised to hear that single mother households are the fastest growing family group in Australia, and amazed that there aren't more books about it. So well done for finding this niche. Um, let's start at the beginning. You start the book with the line, "This is not quite what I had in mind for my life." Uh, talk to us about that, as I imagine it's something most single parents can relate to. I think all single parents can relate to that. I, and that's why I started the book there. And I started that first chapter is, is literally called How Did I Get Here? Because every single mother I spoke to, and I spoke to dozens of single mothers for this book with a range of circumstances, separated and divorced, widowed, single mothers by choice, one thing they all had in common was they all had a moment in their life where they thought this wasn't the plan. Even single mothers by choice would say, all of them that I spoke to anyway, said to me, look, I'm really happy with this choice, but it wasn't plan A. So that means that you all have a moment as a single mother where you take stock of your life and literally look around you and go, well, I didn't mean to end up here. So it gives you that opportunity to dig deep and explore, well, how did I get here? Because we co-create everything in our life. And then how can I reinvent from here? So it's actually, it's a reckoning, but it's also an invitation to do that work and reassess all those choices you've made in your life. And I think it's great because you've kind of been through the, the the worst of it and then sort of had that middle bit, as you say, and then you kind of pulling yourself out. And it, it, it's sort of, it is, it's, it's a nice sort of story of redemption and it is quite joyous at the end, which is great. Um, but I guess, as I say, let's start at the beginning. Um, how hard was this, that decision to go, do you know what, this isn't how I'm going to continue my life. I am going to go and start this new journey and I am going to you know, go with the kids and begin again as such? Like, how hard is it to make the choice to leave? And, and how do you even begin to have that conversation with your children? I think that when a woman gets to a point, and we're talking about women, obviously, mm. it happens to men too, but this is a book for women. So when women get to that point where they're, they've got children, and, and that's the biggest thing you can have at stake, and you decide to leave the, the other parent, then I think universally, to not even talk about my story, you know that there was really no other choice because it's a really, really difficult decision to make. But then it gets to a point where it is the only decision to make for yourself, for the children and for the entire family unit. It's the best decision for everybody for a variety of reasons. So it's kind of the hardest decision, but it's also the easiest. It's the only way to go. And then in terms of telling your children, well, I think it depends on their age. So when I left home, Uh, My boys were four and six. And I look back now, actually, that just sounds so young. But at the time, you're just in it. 
And I really grappled with having to have that the conversation with them for a long time. But I did know that with little kids, you can't tell them too early that something big's going to happen. You know, like Christmas, you can't tell them <laughs> until the day before because I'll be counting down. Not that this is Christmas. Let's just clarify that. Anything but. Uh, but I knew that there was no point telling them early. There, there would be too many questions they wouldn't understand. And so children live very much in the present. And aren't they the greatest teachers for doing that, by the way? So I had been, in my case, looking for an apartment for, for quite a while. And there's, with telling this story, there's so many trajectories you can go off on for, for single motherhood, because I'll just say on this, to the side of that, that it, that's another thing. It's not just as easy as just leave or, mm. the, the, other, or the other parent leaves. It's, there's so, it's such a difficult thing to do logistically. And I searched for an apartment to leave the family home for five months. And I went to so many open for inspections and, I couldn't get the places because I was a single mother. So that's a whole nother thing that mm. a real estate agent admitted that to me when I was like, why am I getting these places? I have a job. And he went, look, you know, the landlord said you're a single mother. So that's a whole nother thing <sighs> yeah. you have to contend with. And it took me five months. So I was dragging my little kids to open for inspections. And I didn't want to tell them what I was doing because I didn't want to worry them. And they wouldn't understand. So I had to keep saying, well, we're just looking for a friend. And, you know, you can tell your kids anything at that age. So there was all of that going on. So then it was the night before we left that I told them. And I remember being so nervous and I'd rehearsed this conversation. I'd gone to see a child psychologist to work out the best way to have this conversation. And I sat down at their little table, their little miniature table with them as they were having dinner and said, we're going to be going to a new house tomorrow. And all they children are so beautiful aren't they they're so uh, in the moment one of them said does it have a pool and the other <laughs> one wanted to know if he could bring brown bear with him to his favorite teddy bear so no to the first question yes to the second and we're off and so then it was it wasn't the move that was hard for them that was all quite smooth sailing but I think there are women with kids who are older who would who would have found that much harder. yeah I was thinking that I think my, my parents got divorced when I was young and I certainly don't remember a lot of it one thing I do remember is they were obviously trying to do the right thing like you were by going to a child psychologist but the way I actually found out my parents were getting divorced was on the shelf in my dad's office there was a book called how to tell your parents how to tell your kids you're getting divorced so oh, that's that, subtle yeah that gave me the heads up I don't think they left it there for me to find but it did you mean I was know. less less surprised um but I do, I do think it's easier when kids are younger because you know you don't remember as much and it, it becomes the only world you've ever known I think if you have a 11 or 13 year old girl you're gonna be in a lot um, more sticky situation so I mean with the, the women you spoke to did you find that the age of the separation um, made a big difference Oh, absolutely. Um, my children too, I put this in the book because I thought it was sort of humorous, but my children when they came because we'd come from our home to a rental apartment, they thought it was a hotel. So they actually made a reception sign, which I've still got there, <laughs> there and I think I'll frame it one day, although it has faded. They made a reception sign and they kept saying, where's the where's the check-in and when are we checking out and where do we get our breakfast? And it took me a while to say, this is it, guys. <laughs> this is our new home. And, yes, I've spoken to a lot of women whose kids were older. And I remember one of them telling me that she she broke the news to her teenage kids that that her pair, that that she and their father were separating and one of them ran off for the hills and they couldn't find him and, you know, cried for days. It just must be so much harder for them to understand at that point. And funnily enough, a lot of them talked about their kids feeling the embarrassment of, oh, no, now my parents are getting divorced. How embarrassing. <laughs> That's yeah, it's funny. That I mean, I there careful. are so many, if I think of 
certainly my my son's group of friends. I think my husband and I are the only ones who aren't, you know, who are still together. Most of the, his his friendship group. So I don't know if it's, you know, if we say it's the fastest group. I wonder if there are more single parents than people together because it, it's, you know, you've, you've, you've I don't know. Um, now, one of the things I wanted to ask was how... Oh, I just want to clarify that, yeah. by the way. No, the uh, the nuclear family model is still very still, much the, uh, yeah. the narrative we're fed is the desired model. And do you know what? If it works, it is a great model. you got two parents. That makes it a lot easier. But it, it's, uh, this, it's certainly not the only way, and I think that's the point of the book, to say that it's just as legitimate if you don't have that model. Oh, absolutely. I mean, is there anything you think you could have done in hindsight better before you made the leap that you should have done before or there's not really you just have to kind of just wade your way through the sticky mess yeah I, I this whole book was the point of it was I don't want to go back it's about the, the single motherhood from from here on mm-hmm. and so no I think I did the best that I could do in the circumstances to see everything through the filter of your kids and I've tried to do that the whole way along and I still do that now. And, and it doesn't mean, oh, my gosh, we stuff up, right, and <laughs> make big mistakes. We all stuff I, up all the time. I, <laughs> yeah. Yes. I just think so long as you can uh, redeem yourself, you know, if you can, there might be an, you have to do a healing with your children if you stuff up. And I've had to do that many, many times. But, you know, the generation above us, they didn't do that, right? Parents were the boss. They were right. And the child was was beneath them. It was a hierarchy and that was that. So I think the wonderful thing about parenting in our day and age is that we can go to our kids and say, I did the wrong thing and you didn't deserve that. And so long as you do that reckoning um, and make it up to your child, then well, anything's possible. Yeah, well, also <laughs> so, that's how they learn. I think that that's great. You know, that, that makes them um, much better adults in the making. I mean, one of the things I always say is that I find – you know, as a parent, you sort of firstly forgive your parents for everything they did because, you know, you realise how hard and monumental it is. Um, but also you you try and, you know, repair little things that maybe you wanted repaired in your childhood, but then you just create new problems. Um, so uh, we, we are all doing our best, essentially. Um, I wanted to talk about something you touched on earlier, which is, is this sort of single mother stigma. Because uh, I think you said in the book that, you almost used to be jealous of single mothers. Um, and then obviously after you realised that this stigma was real, how, how does that sort of show up or, or in, you know, how, how, how does that look like? What are examples of that? Because obviously I've not been there. Yes, I think that that jealousy, if that might be a bit of a strong word, but, but look, when, when friends of mine became single mothers and mainly through separation and divorce what I mean was I didn't look at them with pity which a lot of people do and they'd say oh no it's the worst thing ever I'd look at them with oh wow that'd be quite good actually but I think that is the red flag (laughs) that I was it was probably time to move on so it's it's just to clarify that it wasn't like a oh that's what I've dreamed of all my life it was just the oh gosh that would be really really a wonderful path to take right now so I didn't ever see it as something to be ashamed of or that there was a stigma around it and so it wasn't until I became a single mother it's like it sounds like something that just happens to you Um, when I was started raising my boys uh, as a single mother then I it's a little things are said and you pick up on 
that there is still a, a stigma. And the, the main one for me that I recall that I wrote in the book was it was the first time actually I was sitting at my son's soccer practice one evening, one late afternoon, and a mother who I didn't know made a comment about all of the single mothers in inverted commas that were moving into the suburb. And she was saying this in a very uh, disapproving way. She wasn't happy about this. And I sort of thought, oh, hang on, she's oh, she's talking about me. Oh, she's got a problem with people like me. Why would that? Why would that be? And then, even then, you you know, you start to notice it a bit more. But I think I'm one of the ones that's scraped through there quite easily because the women I spoke to, and there were dozens of them, all universally talked about the stigma and feeling the main way it shows up is the social isolation and that's mm. very much a thing and absolutely that was a binding theme amongst the single mothers I, mothers I spoke to I can say that not one of them said that that didn't happen to them every single one of them said that they get dropped off social invitations the invitations dry up they're no longer included in things both as a by themselves and with their children and I don't think that but other people who are doing this are doing it consciously. I don't, I'd like to think that. I don't think it's as, as cruel as, oh, don't include them. They're a single mother. But I think there's that cognitive dissonance and they don't even realise they're doing it. But it's just, well, you don't fit in here. Yeah, and, and look, I know I'm guilty of it. As being someone in a couple, I've got a few of my friends who are single who have now just recently partnered up. And I've been seeing them more. And I'm like, oh, my God, that's that, you know, because it fits that neat. Oh, we have, you know, these couples over. So I'm certainly guilty of it myself. Uh, And and from reading your book, I learned very much you were talking about how, you know, Sunday is particularly a difficult day because it's a family day. And I was thinking, okay, I must be conscious that Sunday is a particularly good day to ask people over with kids and and, and get them involved as well. I mean, it's as I say. I, I do think men come out of it a lot better. You see these men, they're getting asked out for dinner and, oh, poor him, will bring round lasagnas because it's a guy. And that must be so frustrating. Oh, well, thank you for saying that, Charlotte. And, for, and you know what, I feel like my work here is done <laughs> because I wrote the book not just for single mothers, but I wrote it for other people that could, like you, who could read it and see how they could help because I think single motherhood is not just an issue that it's not what it shouldn't even be an issue. It's not an issue, but raising kids on your own is not the preferred model. It's not the way we were designed to do it. So if women are raising children on their own or even part of the time as a co-parent, it's not on them to go and hustle for connection and and to, to try to create community. It's on the community to notice and say, what can we do to reach out? Because we need single mothers because we need these people who are raising the next generation and we need them to feel supported and as part of the wider community because that's for the greater good of their kids. So if if, if someone like you, and I say that with you, but someone like you in a nuclear family, <laughs> but someone like you has another adult in the home, if you can, and I talk generally, of course, but if people like you can see that and see that there's a that we that we need to be supported, then that's a wonderful outcome. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I took a lot from the book as well anyway, just being a parent. There's a lot of things in there that just speak to to mothers in general and and things that we can embrace and ways we can feel less guilty about a lot of things. And um, I mean, I felt really sad when I was reading about the crushing loneliness. You know, I've got, I think the sort of difference between being single and being a single mother is if you're single, people are like, oh, come, we must introduce you to so-and-so. And they may be more sort of uh, encouraged or engaged to invite you into the social circle, etc. Whereas a single mother, you, you don't fit that ideal, you know, I'm either going to set you up with someone or you're in a couple or whatever. So uh, 
that loneliness, which I'm sure anyone who's in that situation or is contemplating perhaps leaving or has recently left, how do you, is there any advice you can give about best coping with that? The loneliness is real. And people talk about loneliness as being, a, as being something that is an affliction for the elderly. And it is, absolutely. But I think the group that is not being seen in that is single mothers because they are, they, the loneliness is palpable when you're alone without your kids. So if you're a co-parent and your children go to the other parent, which they should, by the way, well, in most circumstances, of course, there are some where it may not be healthy. But if they're spending time with the other parent, there's that you're completely on your own. And as I said at the start when I was trying to get used to it, I used to really cry about that. And so I didn't have kids to be on my own. Mm. It's not the reason I had them. So that it's it's not just about being on your own. It's that there's this piece missing. It's that the, the toys are still on the floor and you look at their, their empty beds and you can still hear the echoes of the noises and suddenly it feels so quiet in the house and you, you're cooking. I'm making this sound very sad. <laughs> no, <laughs> but it's, it, as you say, it's, it's the reality of it. I mean, I have friends who, who say, God, I, 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 the kids are so much, I, I just want them to be away. And then when they're with their father, all they want is their kids back. <laughs> so it's yeah. And, you know, people who are in partners, partnerships with children will say, and they say it all the time, and that's totally fine. They'll say, um, oh, I, I would do anything to have a bit of a break. And you say, yeah, I get that, you would, but not every second weekend and not, not enforced. It's when it's enforced upon you. And let me clarify again for anyone listening, I absolutely think children should have time with their other parent in most circumstances. So it's not about that, but I'm just talking selfishly about the one who's left behind. It can be a really big, uh, the the juxtaposition is really difficult. I I know that the, the women really opened up to me about loneliness. A lot of them chose to be anonymous, so they kind of went deeper. And one of the anecdotes that really stayed with me was a friend that I spoke to who said, I could, something like this, but you can find the quote in the book, but, you know, I could um, die on a weekend and no one would know. Oh, God, that's heartbreaking. Kids come home. This woman was saying nobody calls me, nobody checks in, you know, because people are with their, this isn't my experience, but this was this woman's mm. experience. People are with their own families. They're not thinking. They, they, I used to joke the spin effects rolls down the street on the weekend. It's <laughs> like they're all behind their, behind their fences and with their families, as they should be. Family mm. time is so important. But for somebody that's kids are away and then there's no one else and there's no one to hang out with, it can be really hard. And then the other interesting thing is when people are with their kids, they talk about the loneliness. So single mothers by choice who don't have another parent or widows who don't have another parent, they're also lonely with their kids. That can be a tough time because there's no other adult to be a witness to your children's lives. That, I love that bit in the book you had about that. I think that's absolutely right. Yeah. Your children will be doing these amazing things, and I'm used to it now, but my boys are like any kids, it's so hilarious, and they'll say these really extraordinary things or something really deep and or they'll do some other come running out in full SWAT regalia or they just do crazy things. Last night they built a fort, they, one of them slept in it, and you've got no one to turn to to say, oh, look at them, aren't they hilarious? Or no one to share that with. But because, you you know, you flagged this at the start that this book is a story of redemption, actually you come to see that that's a gift as well because you are the sole witness to this. You are, it's such a privilege. You get, you've got this incredible bond with your children because there is no one to divide your attention and there's no one else there to defer to. 
So it means that you completely have that, well, you don't have to, but you've got an opportunity to connect with your kids and have that wonderful connect, wonderful bond and connection that you don't get if there's another adult there because you might say, you know what, you take the kids, I'm going off to go to yoga or read a book or cook a meal. I can't imagine, by the way, <laughs> all of those things. Yeah, did you tell me um, you haven't brushed your teeth this morning yet? <laughs> Everyone <laughs> I'm in my PJs. It's fine. <laughs> no, it's, it's locked down here. I had haven't had a minute. Uh, yeah. So there's wonderful. There's also all the upsides to all of those things we talk about. But the loneliness is real. And one of the women I interviewed also said, "Any single mother who says they're not lonely is full of shit." That kind of sums it up. Yeah, I mean, I've got really a friend who's a widow, and she said she's got um, teenage children, and she said, you know, all the kids just all go into their room, which my teenagers do as well, and they just close the door. And so she says, I'm in a house with my whole family, but I am sitting in the living room on my own. And so exactly the same, you know, it it is a very lonely feeling. Do you think it's a different feeling? Because there's nothing worse than being in a relationship or a marriage and being lonely, that thing when you're with someone and you feel that lonely. What's the difference between those two kind of senses of loneliness, do you think? One of the women I interviewed actually talked about, she, she has a quote where she said, I know people who say they're lonely in their marriage, but at least there's another adult in the house. So I get that. But no, I would take being on my own any day than being in a destructive relationship. I'm talking generally there. I just want to clarify. But if you are in a relationship that is that is toxic, say, uh, then I think you're better on your own, aren't you? And we, we're, we're afraid of being on our own, but that is also an invitation to do that deep inner work on yourself. And that's where this whole story, this whole experience of single motherhood has that flip side because, yes, there's the loneliness, but what what happens when you're forced into a period of pain and struggle and suffering like loneliness is? Loneliness is incredibly confronting. So you can either freak out and and mask that in many different ways or you can go I'm gonna just sit with myself because you, we have to trust that this is all an interim phase it's all an in, it's all just an in-between you've gone from that situation to a different situation and it's going to grow from there so there's going to be a period where there's an adjustment and it's in that adjustment that we have to really sit with that loneliness and that's hard just feel that pain and feel all the things that it brings up and for me, it brought up that, is there anybody in the world that actually cares about me? It's all those things. I'm, you really go deep into, into the fear and the panic that you don't matter to anybody else. And then from that, it's scary, by the way, but from that, you find that actually the only person that you have to defer to is yourself. And if you can find that strength within yourself and build it up within yourself, I've done a lot of work on that myself then then you realize you can seek outside for that validation but you're not going to find it out there anyway so if you can find that within yourself you're good to go for the rest of your life so it's actually a lot of freedom yeah opportunity to go through and there's lots of I mean obviously the book delves quite deeply into quite a lot of some of the work you did which I found really interesting and it sort of seems like initially you've got to find the gifts in the suffering which you talk about um and 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 do the work around that but then you also give ideas of things like you know that you can control your narrative um going forward so can you sort of describe a little bit about how how that might show up for someone or how they can start controlling the narrative and making their story more uplifting than maybe (laughs) it might have felt like it was 
Well, I think when you're in a nuclear family, which again, let's clarify, that is a wonderful model. That, that is the preferred model if it's working. I do, I do think that if you're in that situation, your kind of story is almost set, sort of. I mean, things are going to happen, right? We don't know what's going to happen. Tragedy can strike at any minute. Wonderful opportunities can come up. But the kind of storyline is there. And when you're a single mother, it's like you've got this blank canvas to create from here. No one's there to determine how this is going to go, how this story is going to go. So you've got that opportunity to rewrite the story. And some people talk about doing that with their kids. How do we want our life to look? What are we going to do from here? And so whether it's where you're living or uh, whether you want a new partner in your life or how the house is going to look, you've got no one else to say, pack up that fort, put the couch back together. It's like if you just want it to be like that, then just let it all go and surrender. So there's so many examples and everyone's is going to be very unique, but it's just that idea that, wow, it's exciting. It's exciting that there's this clean slate and uh, and the unmapped future, I call it. Yeah, no, I like that. I mean, that was, I was going to kind of bring that up towards the end because for me, that was certainly the thing that was really upbeat and kind of, instead of thinking the unknown as being this scary thing, it's actually like this exciting thing because it could be anything. Um, in which case, in my life, I pretty much probably know what tomorrow and the next day is going to look like. So um, I thought that was really good. One of the other things I wanted to touch on is the... Um, the where are my notes here we got um yeah I wanted to say that that obviously I was saying look after people um who are single parents check in with them on a Sunday don't describe yourself as practically a single mom if you're not I thought that was a good piece of advice and don't ask them if they've met someone yet because that's annoying um so let's talk about dating and getting back out there as cringily as it sounds because there is a section in the book around that so I know you spoke to a lot of people around that um what are the what are the rules I've got I mean like I've got certain friends I know that have agreed with their ex that they are not going to um introduce a new partner to their kids until they've hit one year of dating I also know a really nasty um ex of a friend of mine who took his kids on his first tinder date um, so everyone has clearly different rules. What, what would your sort of suggestion be if someone is going to start embarking on a relationship within that framework of being a single mother? Yeah, I'm no expert on this. So what I did was I deferred to Kerry Sackville, who is a, is a journalist and an author, and she wrote a book about dating in midlife and so I thought, I'll just go and interview Kerry. She's the expert. And I asked her lots of questions about it. And so I think the, 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 all of it's, I've literally done a Q&A with Kerry, which is in the book. But the gist of it is that the, liberate, the liberating part of this is that when you're dating before you have kids, whether you like it or not, whether you want to admit it or not, there's a biological pull. It's when we're not controlled by our minds. There's this pull to find someone to mate with and have kids. And we might be conscious of that or we might not. But once you've had kids, that's off the table. So you don't have to worry about that anymore. So you're actually meeting somebody as an adjunct to your life. It's not necessary. And you usually at that point, when, when you're a single mother, you've you've kind of got a lot of it together. You know, you're older in life usually as well. And you've had your kids and hopefully you're financially stable or getting on the way. And 
you're independent and all of those things. So you just want to meet somebody because you think it will be a, an extra thing. And so that takes the pressure off. But then in terms of introducing them to your children and your partner to your children, that's a minefield. And I think that, yeah, Kerry talks about the different rules around that. But I think it's using, being sensible about it. Mm. Taking your child on your first Tinder date, okay, that's just weird. <laughs> and that He's, doesn't matter he is just weird. <laughs> Certainly not looking through the filter of your kids, as we talked about before. So just think about everything through the filter of, of your kids and you can't go wrong. It's like, is it going to be upsetting for them if there's suddenly a new person in their life and then that person might be gone in a few months? And, of course, it will be. So just I think the rule is you just wait until you know that it's somebody that's going to be around for the foreseeable future. And yeah, and that's the best you can do. Um, and, you know, you can't guarantee they're necessarily going to be around forever. Uh, and equally, I mean, I've got a lot of friends who've got slightly older kids and the kids don't like their new partner. But there's also, so you look, you you know, you do the best you can looking through the filter of your kids. But I also think I know equally some people who have devoted so much of their life to their kids, whether they're married or not, that they haven't given themselves a chance to come out of it after. And so certainly people I know with kids in their 20s, they might not like their new partner, but they said, you know what, I'm seeing them once a month. The rest of the life is mine. Do I not get to also choose? So I think a lot of it is dependent on the, the age of the kids, maybe. Yeah, I think it is age-dependent, that's right, because uh, the, the teenagers are usually going to rebel against it. With my kids, they have uh, been saying of late, been begging me, please find us a stepdad. How old are your boys now? Uh, they are 10 and 11. I thought, and so oh, that's sweet, amazing, one of them, of course, what, what, what they're giving you sort of um, advice of what, if you did get a boyfriend, there were a couple of things he had to, you know, tick, tick a few of their boxes. Yes, and just the other day when that beautiful moon was was in the sky, what was the name of that moon? I'm forgetting. Yeah, the, I know what you mean. Yeah, the super moon or something. The super moon. Don't want to get the term wrong for those lunar, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, aficionados. Anyway, my I said to the boys, let's make a wish to the moon, and we're wishing for all sorts of things. And then, of course, one of them starts going on the stepdad trajectory again, and and they don't know what goes on in my dating life because, of course, like we discussed, mm. I wouldn't let them know until it was somebody that was going to be around. Well, that's um, good that they're kind time. of, again, they're excited about the future possibilities and things like that. Yes, but one of the, so he was saying, I want to step down. And then I said to him, well, you better be a bit more specific than that, please. If we're saying it to this supermoon, just be careful. So then he started listing off some characteristics he had to have. And then I said, good looking, just add that in. Come on, sense of humor. <laughs> so we just have, just have fun with it. That's I think it sounds do. great. I mean, one of the things, again, through that filter of the kids, um, you, you quoted another author who um, was talking about feeling so bad about leaving and, and, and becoming a single parent. And, and she was saying, would I want my child to be in this marriage that I'm in now? And I think equally that's something a lot of people might not think about. I've got a lot of friends who are like, I'm just going to stay until the kids are in high school or have left high school and you know, that that isn't necessarily the right thing. So if you think about how you want it for your own kids. Yeah, the post-HSC divorce, they call it, don't they? There's a, <laughs> it's actually a thing. But I know that it, my parents divorced when I was, well, they, they, they finally separated when I was at university. And I just remember thinking, I'll never forget that moment on, my, on the pay phone when my mum was telling me. And I thought, thank God, hurry up. But why didn't this happen earlier? And no offence to either of my parents, my father has died, but they were both, he was a wonderful person, my mom, but they they weren't meant to be together. And so as a teenager, you're thinking, hurry up <laughs> and just 
break up. Now, I know now that that's so hard to do. I get that. So you can see why people go on longer than their use-by date, of course. But these people who say I'm staying for the kids, oh, my God, you're not. It's not doing the kids any good. Now, of course, there's a point. There's like this magical point. You might want to stay a bit longer because maybe you can work through whatever these issues are. Mm. It's every, every couple is individual. But if it's absolutely over and you're just staying in the house, that is the worst role modelling for your kids. There were many women. And I, the quote you're talking about is Glennon Doyle, the American yes. author and activist. And she said, she staying in this, she said, I was staying in this marriage for my daughter. I mean, she's got two daughters and a son, but she was talking about this particular moment. And then I looked at, she looked at her daughter in the mirror when she was plaiting her hair and thought, but hang on, do I want this marriage for her? And that was her turning point. But a lot of women reflected that same sentiment. Uh, I remember another woman I interviewed saying that as well, that she'd said, I'm going to stay, I'm going to stay for my daughter. And it's often the daughters actually, because she says, but then I stopped and thought, I don't want her to think that this is the model of a good relationship. And and when there's no affection and there's no, there's actually no love and there's toxicity in this particular example, she ended up leaving and it took great courage. But now she could say to her daughter, your dad's a great man, but we were not a good couple and I don't want that for you. So it's actually a, a really... I love that. Yeah, and I think it's, it, 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 again, it was something I hadn't really thought of it through through that sort of frame. Uh, and, you know, both of us have come from um, broken families, as they call them. And so many of, probably, I think, you know, my independence, so many of the good things that in my life that I'm fairly proud of in terms of my character have definitely been formed from that. So I think there's so much of this guilt that's carried by single parents that it isn't the right model or the best model. And, and certainly in the book, you speak to a lot of that to make the you know single mothers feel a lot better that there are so many joys and gifts. And like everything in life, it's, it's the shit stuff that's the making of us. So um, I, I really urge... Uh, anyone who's on that path, whether it's at the beginning of the middle or down the track or or has a friend who is going through that, because what a great gift uh, as a book to give them. Um, so anyone who who's listening now and, and maybe is in the kind of the down in the dumps bit of it, the, the absolute worst of it, what do you want to say just to kind of wrap up so that um, maybe they, they can see a little glimmer of hope on the horizon? I just want to say something first on the point you were making, Charlotte, about about your kids, um, it being the making of them, because that's important. And that I talk about that a lot in the book. And I've said to my kids a few times because they've railed against the situation when they see all the other kids at school and in, in their nuclear families and why aren't we like that? And I've said to them a few times, and as they're getting older, I'm more blunt about it, where I'll just say, do you know what? This is going to shape you. You, you, You're going through these hard times now. And then when the hard times happen later, when you're older, you'll have the muscle for it. So just trust me. And many times I've had to say to my kids, just trust me. That's all I can say to you right now. It's going to make sense. So there's that side of it. So don't worry about the kids. They're going to be fine. And I interviewed Maggie Dent in the book. Many people would know her. She's a wonderful a parenting expert and has written lots of books and about it, particularly mothers with boys. And she says the research shows that so long as kids have that one lighthouse figure, she calls it that lighthouse figure, you don't have to have both parents there. You don't have to have two parents and you don't have to have both parents who've got it together. 
They just need one guiding light. So just be that guiding light for the single mothers who are listening. And then in terms of what you were talking about for for women who are at that point, and, oh, my God, I know that point where you're feeling like you are in the trenches and there's no light at the end of the tunnel, day by day, moment by moment, but also do the work, take this opportunity to not mask what's going on, but see that you can use this time and use this as a gift to explore yourself and and do and do that do whether it's meditation therapy reading lots of books all of those things together just do that work to to find out the part you played in this not just a marriage breakup of course but anything wherever you're at in your life how did i get here what did i do to bring myself to this point and then how can we create from here and see that this is actually liberating and it's a great opportunity and you've done nothing wrong to this point, but you've got an opportunity to do life better from here on. And you've got the greatest gifts because you've got a child or children to do it with you. And because you've got kids or a child, because there's something so big at stake, that's what forces you to go deep, feel the pain, feel that struggle and go through it and come out the other side. Because if you don't have kids, you tend to go, oh, that's okay. I'll just run into the next relationship or do the next thing but this time you go I can't because these people are relying on me here and so you just dive in and you will come out so that that, yeah the the kids end up saving you because that's the reason you do all this Um, they're the best incentive yeah I actually dedicated my book to my boys surprise surprise but I said thank you for being my reason and what I mean by that is they are the reason that I finally did that work and uh, there's there's no greater incentive than your kids. Oh, that's fantastic. I really I really appreciate you coming on to chat to us today. As I say, whether you're a, a single parent or not, um, the book is a really good read for parents everywhere. There's lots of stuff in there and, and a, a lot of stuff about doing the work because even if you don't have kids, we all need to do the work. I love that stuff. You talk about actually feeling the pain because it's just energy that goes through your body and it, 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 it moves on. Um, but if we all try and mask it all the time, it's going to show up in other places. Um, uh, it, it's a great read. I thank you, everyone, for listening as usual. I'm going to put all the details of how you can get the book and some other goodies on the website, belesscrap.com.au. Over and out. That's all the time we have. This podcast is brought to you by the fine people, well, me, at thinrichhappy.com. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to hear more, be sure to subscribe. Or if you really enjoyed this episode, please leave a review, which will help other people find the podcast. For extra podcast goodies, you can visit belesscrap.com.